Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. All right. Good evening, everybody. I'm starting the recording just a little bit later here because we've been talking about my exploits over the last couple of days, which I'm not going to get into other than to say that uh, I went to a town hall meeting and got a preview of what's to come in this country, no doubt in my mind. And then I had an accident happen right in front of me, and I stood out in 89 degrees this afternoon directing traffic for an hour and 40 minutes waiting for the police to show up. So it's been a rather interesting couple of days. But uh, this is Dallas Depth Discussion. It is Monday night, March 20th already. I can't believe we only we got two-thirds of the month of March gone, and that's going to be a quarter of the year. Um, I, the, the time going, it just goes faster and faster every hour for me. I don't know about everybody else. But uh, anyway, I, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, we have Terry. We have John with us tonight. Thank you both for joining me. I neglected to thank you both last week. I realized after when after I got done at the end of the call, but I thank you, as always, every week for joining me to help people. This is about education. It is not about giving legal advice because, one, we don't know what it is. Second of all, we can't dispense it because they say that only lawyers can do that. And, I mean, even if I wanted to, I couldn't because I have no clue exactly what it is. So uh, no legal advice here. What we do is discuss things. That's why this is called Dallas Debt Discussion. It always has been called that and all, for almost eight years. So uh, the whole reason for us being here is to help people with situations they may find themselves in regarding debt issues, uh, whether it be things with your credit report, uh, whether you're getting phone calls, and not necessarily from debt collectors, but even from telemarketers, because we we do cover the consumer protection statutes, basically the FDCPA, Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act, and the TCPA, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So if you've got issues with telephone calls, if you've got issues with stuff in your credit reports, if you've got issues with debt collection, well, that's what we're here to help you with. We don't have all the answers, but collectively, uh, Terry, John, and myself have a fairly substantial amount of experience in litigating in the federal courts. We're not just reading something on the Internet or reading some things in a book, and, ooh, this sounds good, let's talk about this on the call. We are all litigators in federal court. So we've been there. Now, that doesn't mean that we've done everything that there is to do in federal court. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean we're experts. It means we're knowledgeable about a number of things regarding the the courts. But it doesn't mean that we know everything or are experts. If we know the answer to a question that someone might have, we'll tell you what the answer is based on our study, experience, whatever. But if we don't know the answer, we're going to tell you that as well. We'll tell you, gee, I don't know. I think it might be this, but you will probably want to go here or there to check. 
In other words, if we're not sure, we're not going to throw you a big line of BS to make it sound like we're all-knowing and really, really good, and then you end up being in trouble. And uh, that's not the way things work. So just so everybody understands what we do here, we don't get paid for what we do. In June, I'll be doing this call eight years. I've never missed a Monday night in almost eight years. I don't get paid for this. So please understand that the only thing that we ask from all of you that come on these calls is that when you have the opportunity to help someone else with what you've learned from us, that you take that opportunity and utilize it, that you help that individual, that you pay it forward. That's all that we ask for all the time and effort we've put in for years and years and years. Terry and John have been here out here for years. Terry had her own call, and that, that kind of migrated over to what we're doing here. And John has joined us. He's been with us for years. So uh, we have all, the three of us, have become great, 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 fantastic friends. And we've never met. We've never met. I've met Jesse, but I've never met Terry. I've never met John. And Terry and John have never met each other. John has met Jesse because they both live in Florida, and they're relatively close. So the bottom line is we're here to help people. This is about education. It is about coming back to a community. And, boy, I'm telling you, after what I witnessed this weekend at this town hall meeting here, you are going to need the friends in your community, and you need to gather your friendships and get to the point where you guys can look out for each other. Because what I witnessed this weekend at a town hall meeting was, to say the least, very ugly. It didn't get to violence but I'm here to tell you, with the tenor of what was there, all it's going to take is one or two individuals in one of these crowds. And there were several thousand people here. Um, to assault the wrong one. Well, to just have somebody go over the line. The bottom line is, there's no doubt in my mind that we've got violence on the horizon in this country with what's going on, these paid protesters. There is no discussion or discourse anymore about the political issues in this country, about Donald Trump as president. This is paid participation to disrupt. They wouldn't even give the legislator a chance to speak. There was nothing but screaming and yelling and name-calling and threatening. And, I mean, you name it, it was there except violence. But you know something, Dave? Um, I'm sure it crossed your mind when you were experiencing it firsthand. Um, it had to have. I I never would have believed this many absolute lunatics were in my community. But the sad thing is, probably most of those lunatics were trafficked in. Well, I don't know. You know, this I'm in a big metropolitan area, so there's there's plenty of people around here. Um, I don't know if that's really anything necessarily trafficked in here. You know, we we have about seven million people in the in the metroplex, so there's no shortage of people to recruit for stuff like that. The but what what it, the big thing was is just the tenor of the whole thing. There was a young twenty-something 
standing behind me almost, I was out there for three hours. She was right behind me for the best part of the three hours with a bullhorn. And I'm here to tell you, her lips never stopped moving. Never. She was nonstop loud mouth, egging on the crowd. And uh, it, this, this was really, really, really something. And there were signs out there. I got there before things really started getting going because it was very shortly after I got there. Boy, the line got long. The, the line to get in there was all the way down to the corner. And uh, there were people on the other side of the cross street on the sidewalk waiting to cross as the line moved. It, it, there, was, there was a lot of people out there. But this this was a very ugly situation. Uh, it didn't get to violence, but it's it's only a matter of time. So uh, please, everybody, there are, there are some things going on out here that most people wouldn't have ever thought were possible in the United States of America. But it's here. It's here. And if you just poo-poo it and think, well, it's not going to happen where you are. It can happen anywhere and everywhere because they are really, really fomenting the hatred and the uh, the absolute unwillingness to have any kind of discussion. It is all about me name-calling and you know talking. You don't get to say anything. That's what their whole deal is. It's to just flat shut everything down and overwhelm everybody. And they're doing a good job. They really are. So uh, it's it's only a matter of time it's going to blow up into violence in this country. There's no question in my mind that we've got bloodshed on the horizon. It's just a matter of when and how severe it will become. But this, it, it, it's it's coming rapidly. So... Anyway, this is my own observations. This isn't something I saw on the news. I was there firsthand report. Get ready for it. Be prepared. If you're not prepared and you're not sure how to prepare, well, then do a little research on the Internet. You better be ready to protect yourself because if things really get out of hand and escalate, things could become very ugly very, very rapidly. And that's one of the most obvious reasons we should be very glad we have the Second Amendment. Yes, exactly. So, anyway, um, it's been an interesting several days here. Now I want to go, like we always do, and see if anybody has any good news, because obviously what I had to bring up tonight wasn't good news. So if anybody has any good news, just go ahead and uh, bring that up. You don't have to hit star eight to ask a question. Has anybody got any good news for us? Oh, goodness. Quiet. Okay. Well, we, we have people well, come Well, we on haven't the call. had any whacked out town halls around here. That's yeah. good. That's good news, even though I'm about <laughs> fixing to leave Dodge. And where I'm going, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know. I don't know what a town hall would look like on that mountaintop. Yeah, well, the the whole thing is, it's you know, there's been a number of different town hall meetings around the country, and this is where the legislators go out and make them available to talk to people. 
and that's that's the key thing. It's to you know have people come and ask them questions and and uh, you know uh, give their opinions and stuff like that. But it has to be in some kind of a reasonable, organized, civil fashion. And this was anything but. This was anything but. And this is not just some residents. So this is being fomented uh, by, and, and we didn't, uh, we discussed a little bit of this beforehand. I will tell everybody. Uh, there was a gentleman there that I met who uh, gave me his card. He wants me to get a hold of him. We talked a little bit, and I to- was telling him about some of the stuff that we're doing, like these calls and what we're doing to help people. Uh, Heritage Action for America, he's the uh, South Central Regional Coordinator, Wade Miller. Um, very, very smart guy, ex-Marine, uh, graduated top of his class, uh, very intelligent guy. He just spent a week out in Washington, D.C., and what's going on, they know, there's no question about it, they know, and we discussed this, that a lot of this stuff that's going on is being fomented uh, in the background by George Soros. In other words, an international individual is bringing the stuff to our shore through a myriad of various uh, entities that they've got set up where they're uh, channeling millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to pay these protesters. Yeah, to create but these they're problems. wasting all their time worried about Russia. Well, that's me. all a smokescreen. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all smokescreen stuff. But the reality is that they know that. We've, we've had some discussions about it here on some of the calls. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to belabor a lot of political stuff here because this isn't a political call. Um, but they, they are very aware of it, and uh, there, there is not a lot uh, that they can do because of the myriad of channels. Because what it is is we have a foreign individual that is very much trying to uh, impact the political scene here. He poured an immense amount of money into Hillary Clinton's campaign and everything. That's, that's common knowledge. So uh, the fact that, you know, the uh, uh, liberal progressive side did not win in the election. You know, normally you got your election, and after that uh, people calm down. Can you imagine if, you know, the uh, conservative people did this after Barack Obama had been elected? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. It would be, be like the end of the world. You know, that didn't happen, but, of course, this is the other way around. And you have to understand that there is a, a bigger uh, situation out here we're dealing with. So anyway, that's what happened. Uh, we're here to help people with uh, debt issues, if people have got them, to learn about the proper use of the courts. And notice I said the the word proper use of the courts. And uh, John uh, sent an uh, email a couple days ago with a ruling. And uh, John, you you want to just briefly give everybody an overview of what happened in that situation and what that ruling was. And by the way, that was from uh, the ruling was a fifth circuit court of appeals. And it was uh, about a guy down here in Houston, Texas. That's right. It it was kind of interesting. It had nothing to do with debt collection, debt defense or any of that stuff. But it had to do with what the court referred to as administrative process. And um, 
he had been arrested and all this other stuff and he was representing himself pro se and he was in jail and he challenged it and um when he didn't get his way he threatened the prosecutor and the judge that he was going to get a lien on him or whatever anyways time went by and he filed a UCC lien with the state for uh, seven figures on each one of them, you know, yeah, six million and some dollars for each one. Yeah, of them. on each one of them in in that, and then also in the county, but not the county they lived in, in an adjacent county. And um, the judge threw the book at him, and it comes with a mandatory sentencing because this is it's very basic stuff when you're putting in false liens, and um, they have, and I'm really not familiar with criminal court, but they have, you know, like multipliers on sentencing guidelines. And this guy got hit with level six. And so, I mean, what was it? He got 12 years in jail? Uh, 10, I believe. 10. The 10 maximum was 10. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and they nailed him with 10 years. Yeah. And, it, you know, if he would have just, you know, not argued so hard he probably would have got less but they just slammed his ass there's the only way to put it and the the statute um provides that whoever files attempts to file or conspires to file in any public record or any private record which is generally available to the public any false lien or encumbrance against the real or personal property of an officer or employee of the United States on account of the performance of official duties by that individual, knowing or having reason to know that such lien or encumbrance is false or contains any material, false, fictitious, or, hang on, fraudulent, uh, or representations shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for not more than 10 years or both. And obviously he was in form of papyrus and, you know, a pro se prisoner. So he didn't have anything. So he got him with the 10 years. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's that plain and clear. Yeah. And uh, he actually ended up getting a lawyer to appeal it. A lawyer helped him with the appeal for, to the uh, that was fifth the insane circuit. part. I couldn't and, believe that part. And and the uh, the the lawyer couldn't save his butt. I mean, it was so egregious what the guy had done. Right. And then and, and then he and tried you, to you know the lawyer tried to save his butt by saying, well, you know, but he didn't really really file a lien. Yeah, but even he did file a lien, even though there wasn't any real lien. Well, let's it just was, go on a little bit. Was a you know, that was lien. about filing false liens, and then it goes on to say that uh, because when you file a lien with a UCC filing, it it can be a lien against your real or personal property. In other words, a house, cars, bank accounts, whatever there are. It's it's the opening the door for garnishment and seizure of property. So the term. The terms real and personal property are not intended to limit the scope of the statute, but rather to indicate the class of documents prohibited by the statute. The statute prohibits the filing of 
the attempting to file or the conspiring to file documents of the sort that could create false liens and encumbrances against federal employees. The prohibition is triggered by the type of documents and resulting harm without regard to the validity, without regard to the validity or existence of the identified collateral in such documents. The defendant's focus on collateral is misplaced because the collateral he listed in the lien documents is not re relevant to whether he violated the statutes. So it doesn't matter if it's a fake document or not. It doesn't matter if the person you're filing it against has property or not. The fact that you did it is the violation. Yeah, and, and what ended up happening to this is after he did this stuff, they charged him with it, and he went through a criminal trial, and the jury found him guilty. Yep. yep. So, you know, you hear us talk about these administrative processes and how you just want to stay away from these things. We know personally, Terry and I personally know people that either have been or still are in prison as a result of using the administrative processes. It's not a joke. It's real as rain. It's something people really need to stay away from. And this decision, I believe, John, wasn't it dated the 14th of March, just earlier oh, yeah. this month, this, a few days ago? This is fresh. This is yeah, fresh. this is brand new. This just happened. Mm -hmm. So it's not something from, you know, four or five years ago. Well, you know, they're not doing that anymore. No, this is just brand new stuff, everybody. So please, when we talk about all of this kind of stuff, or if you have conversations, oh, well, you know, I know how to get rid of this stuff. You know, you just do this thing and you file a UC. No, don't even think about going there, please. You're going to just dig yourself a hole that you don't even want to try and have to climb out of. So, Well, let's just add it up a little more for people. Yes, this is fresh. It's a 13-page ruling. This wasn't Mickey Mouse State Court. This was a federal court case, and the document I'm referring to is an appeals court decision, a 13-page appeals court decision upholding the ruling of the district court. And, I mean, that's the next step is the Supreme Court, and there is absolutely positively no wiggle room in this ruling to take it to a higher level. No. no. This is as clear cut as it gets. Just yeah. uh, That was a good read. Thank you for sending that. I don't know how you happened to stumble on that, but um, that was interesting. And, and I, I did want to bring it up, you know, because we do have people occasionally that want to bring this stuff up and talk about it. And uh, you just don't want to go there. You know, and, and and you'll have some of these people out there that espouse the stuff. Oh well, you know, he just didn't do this or that right. And if he had just no, no, just don't even go there. Learn to use the court system that's out there, because in the majority of cases, you will find that it'll work for you. There's a few exceptions. You know, Terry had a bad judge. And, you know, there's been other people that have had uh, a bad judges here and there because they're humans. You know, somebody gets a big head over uh, their position on the bench. It does happen. But uh, the federal courts are a lot better than the state courts on that. But, that, yeah. that was 10 years with three hots and a cot in the Gray Bar Motel for filing three documents. Yeah. Notice the default. 
an affidavit in support of summary judgment, somehow that ties in with his previous case, and an affidavit of obligation for commercial lien. Yeah, and and everybody, this is in a federal prison. This isn't in your local county lockup. This is federal prison. And I'll tell you what, in federal prison, they tell you when to sneeze, when to burp, when to go poo-poo, and when to go to bed. They tell you just about everything when you're going to do everything in your life. Now, can you imagine being having a, a, a boot like that on your neck for 10 years just because you decided to file some papers? just doesn't make sense. And you're someone that's just had a little financial trouble compared to this guy who was convicted of conspiracy to launder money and smuggle illegal aliens and was sentenced to 63 months in prison and three years <coughs> supervised release. And then he goes and files these documents. I mean, any judge... And now, any, now how much time total has he got? Did you add that up, John? Well, if you add 63 months, which is five years and three months plus 10 years... I think they that, run concurrently, though. I don't know. I think I'm not sure, but I'm thinking that that I read where that's concurrent. But I I, I may be thinking of something else I read because I've read a bunch of things in the last few days. But so either way, then, uh, he went from five years and three months to ten minimum. Yeah. Yep. I mean, just point. pretty much sentencing, doubled it. Sentencing guidelines increases the base offense level by six levels, and we affirm the judge, the district court's judgment. No. So anyway, it's just uh, that, that, that was, was way very not worth it. No, <laughs> no, that it was just not a very good decision. Let's let's just say that. So anyway, I want to see if anybody has come on that might have some good news they want to share with us. We'll uh, check on that. Uh, if you do, speak up. All right, we're not hearing anything. Of course, you know, we'll take good news anytime. Uh, has anybody got any questions for us tonight? Uh, as usual, I'm going to tell everybody that uh, when we come on the call, we're here to help people, educate people. We discuss a few things like we have been here. But if people don't have questions for us, we can go ahead and wrap things up because we've all got, uh, Terry, John, and I have got uh, other things that, that we can spend some of our time doing. I've got some research I need to do, and I need to get a good night's sleep. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll tell you that three hours out in the sun Saturday and then almost two hours out in the sun, almost 90 degrees today, that uh, I was tired when I got back. I'm not used to doing that because I'm used to sitting in the chair here at the desk, uh, although I do my walk. And I really surprised myself yesterday. I did something uh, that... Uh, uh, I just for whatever reason decided to check it. I've I've thought with my walking, you know, I mentioned uh, that I walk uh, pretty much almost every single day. Uh, at my age, it's important to do that. It is for everybody to get exercise. But uh, I I had estimated my walk at about one and three quarter miles. Well, I went and I clocked it with the odometer on the car yesterday. I drove the exact route, and lo and behold, it's two and a third miles that I walk every day. So um, I'm getting a little more exercise than I thought I was. Well, I'll tell you what, I now remember why it is I hate moving. <laughs> I, I've never forgotten why I hate moving. <laughs> it's the obvious. You know, it's just been so long since I did it. Yeah. And it's all coming back to me now. 
Yeah, <laughs> you never know how much stuff you got until you go to move. And it's and almost three no times as much as, as you to, thought. As to why you have it when you ask yourself that question. Yeah. Yeah. Why did I keep this? What, what was I keeping this I must have had a reason. <laughs> yep. Somewhere along the way. All right. Well, we have somebody with a hand up here from Texas. And if you have a question, other people, star eight is how you put your hand up to put yourself in the queue. But Texas, you're unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I've talked to y'all before. I just wanted to... Um, let you know that um, I had gotten a letter from um, what? What is the name? MSM um, Midland. Oh. <laughs> and they, MCM Midland yeah, Credit Management. Okay. MCM. Uh, it was a letter uh, uh, reminding me that they had won a judgment against me, and um, I talked to you guys and. Terry had told me that there was an amount in Texas that if your assets were below that amount, you could file an affidavit uh, with the court. And my assets were below that amount. And um, from what I remember, y'all said, wait for them to, um, I guess, subpoena me or or file something with the court so they could subpoena me and, and ask about my assets. And then at that point, I could file this affidavit. Well, they never subpoenaed me. Instead, they just filed a lien against my house. Yeah, they can do that in Texas. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So is but, it too- okay, okay, wait. Let, let me intervene here a little bit, tech, uh, uh, Dave. And <clears throat> if I'm wrong, please uh, counter me because I don't live in Texas. However, as far as these uh, income exemptions go, which is what we're talking about here, that you would want to file your uh, affidavit on. Since they didn't uh, call for a asset hearing or something of that sort so that you had they the opportunity. Can't. Yeah, they okay. can't in Texas. They didn't go that route. Instead, they put the lien on. I personally, if it were me, I would not even worry about it until I want to sell my house or uh, obtain a uh, uh, refinance it or some kind of car loan or something like that where it becomes an issue because that would be the time that you would fight the lien. Like, let's say you wanted to go buy a house. No, no. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there because I don't okay, I don't go want ahead. you to yeah. In Texas, they can put a lien on your property. Okay, they can't. Uh, you can't stop that. They can put the lien on. They can't garnish you here. Okay, so you don't have anything on a garnishment. And what happens is with that lien on the property, it, when you reach the point in time that you want to, you know, do something like you know, the refinance or sell the property, that is a legitimate lien that is on the property and has to be satisfied. It clouds the title on the property. Sure. And there isn't anything that you can do outside of that other than satisfying it because it doesn't get into any kind of a, a garnishment type thing at that point in time. It's It simply clouds the title on the property. I know uh, of an elderly couple here that... Uh, went through that and uh they uh 
they had a, a lot of problems. They <laughs> they had a daughter that was just as about as bad a, a kid as you could ever have in this world. But um, I helped them with a, a lot of stuff here several years back, and uh, she uh, had a lot of discussions with attorneys and, uh, uh, you know, it extended that information to me. That's why I know about this stuff. Um, yeah. But, it, it, yeah, there isn't anything. See, they can't garnish in Texas. We're, we're one of, what, three states in the country where they can't garnish. Oh, I thought so, they could garnish. No, they cannot oh, in Texas. Okay. No. Um, but, so like, a, that $60,000, it would depend on how much your house is worth if it was, you know, uh, because up to the $60,000 in personal assets they can't touch. Yeah, but, yeah, that, she doesn't have to worry about them coming and knocking on her door for mm-hmm. money now. Right, it's just that. Ultimately, the lien has to be satisfied. It, the, that has How to much be is satisfied. it for? It's uh, like $4,600. Okay. Now. Sounds just like them. But go all right. Ahead. Now, what uh, I'm going to suggest that you uh, follow a course of action here. L- go look up the ruling from the court and find out what the interest rate is that the uh, that is applying to that judgment because there is interest. Okay. Okay. Now, you know, I, I don't know what the interest rates are here. You want to go look at the ruling, the judgment by the court, see if it states it, if uh, it, it should, or if it states, you know, uh, uh, interest uh, uh, pursuant to uh, Texas statute so-and-so or whatever. You're going to have information there on what the interest rate is that uh, – is accruing on that, that's going to accrue all of that period of time. Now, I will tell you that one of the things that Midland is very, very interested in is cash flow. Okay? They got a judgment against you. Now, you have to stop and think, if you let that judgment sit out there for, let's say, 10 years, and they're allowed to collect 5%, let's say 5%. Well, geez, that's 50%. All of a sudden, that $4,600 goes to about 7000 Well, do you want to have to deal with 7000 someday? Or would it be better to say, okay, let's put ourselves in a position, seeing as how we can't do anything about the judgment, and we know it's going to cloud the title to this property. If we sell the property they're going to take that money out of it. Now, if that's the case, they're going to take the face value. Let's say with interest at the time that, let's say you decide to sell a property. Let's say that at that point in time, that amounts up to $6,500. I'm just using, I'm pulling uh, figures out of the air here to make examples for you. Please understand this. Let's say that at that particular time that you decide to sell the house, the amount of the judgment with interest is $6,500. they are going to take 6500 bucks. That's the only way you're going to get a clear title and be able to do that is out of the proceeds of the sale. There's $6,500 instead of going in your pocket is going to go to Midland. And now Midland is known for charging more than allowable interest, too. Well, they can try that. But let's, let's just say that, you know, even if you want to argue. But there is a different way that you can do things. And I helped a friend of mine reduce his liability by 
80% here several years ago negotiating with Capital One. He had a judgment for 17000 and some dollars against him by Capital One. And I helped him negotiate that down. He got he got rid of that for just over three grand. Uh, but okay. that was before a lien was uh, filed. Or well, no, he didn't. He had lost his house through uh, um, foreclosure. There, he didn't have the same specific thing as he wanted to get his credit cleared up. But did he want to pay Capital One seventeen thousand dollars? No, I helped him negotiate it down to where they took, I think it was about 3200 bucks, okay. And and they, you know, everything is done. I mean, that obligation is gone. But what I'm, what I'm talking about with you is, rather than letting this thing go and ride, Midland is interested in cash flow. I'm quite confident that you could go to Midland at some point in time and probably get that judgment satisfied for about two grand or maybe eighteen hundred dollars, maybe even less. Okay. okay. Now the key Give to her it, an idea well, well, how, yeah. how she would negotiate. Yeah. Well, that's it's it's not so much about that, is the fact that you've heard the old saying, "Money talks and BS walks." Right. right? Okay. What you want to do is you want to get that money, do whatever you got to do to put yourself in a position to have maybe a couple grand, okay? Okay. And then what you do is you contact them and say, look, I'm in a tough situation. I don't have the money to satisfy this, but... I have managed to, you know, and they're going to BS you, they're going to lie to you, so don't feel bad about lying to them or BSing them either. You know, I have managed to borrow $1,600. This is about where I'd start. I've managed, or maybe even $1,500. I have managed to borrow $1,500 to pay you uh, and to satisfy this. I... I, I want to get this satisfied. There's no way I can pay the, the $4,600. It's virtually impossible. Uh, I, I have scraped together through borrowing from family, whatever kind of story you want to come up with. And I have got $1,500 here. Can we get this settled for $1,500? Because what you're saying, you, see, if you say, well, you know, I can come up with this or, or that, and and then you know you can't. Then you got a real problem because then your credibility is shot. That's why I'm saying get the money together, how, however you got to do it. But if you got a couple grand together and you start out at fifteen hundred, no, we won't take fifteen hundred, but we'll take twenty five hundred on, on this to settle it. There's no way I can come up with twenty five. I struggle to get fifteen hundred dollars together. I struggled to get this in. I'm just trying to get my life back in order. It's at difficult times, you know. You know, my my dad died, my my three aunts died, and my mother died three times. You know, whatever the story is, okay. And I just don't have that. Well, okay. 
if you can if you can come up with two thousand dollars, we'll settle. Well, then, what have you got? You've got your settlement for less than fifty cents on the dollar, do you not? Yes. But but you can play the sob story. Well, I'm not sure if I'll try. I'll try my best to get this done. <clears throat> Send me an email or something so I have something in writing that if if I pay the the two thousand. If somehow, some way, which I don't know, I really don't know if I'm going to be able to do it or not. I, I can try, but it was such a struggle just to get the $1,500 together for this. I mean, life is just tough for us right now. It's, it's been tough, and it's going to get worse. We know that. We're just trying to keep our head above water. Um, but if you get something in writing where they say they'll take 2000 you wait a couple days, and then you go back to them and say, I... I had to go to friends and, and other family that I'm not even on good terms with, but I did manage to come up with a 2000 so we need to get this taken care of. That's how you go about negotiating something like that down, because what is Midland looking for? Do, does that judgment for $4,600 do them any good if it sits there forever? No. But I'll tell you what, if they can get a couple grand in their hand right now, they are interested in cash flow. Terry and I know that all too well. Believe me, they're interested in cash flow. They will deal. But that's the way I would go about doing it. And I think you have probably a pretty fair chance of success if you handle things that way. So what that does is that gets you out for a fraction of the other amount and then you're not paying maybe three or four times that, you know, 10, 12 years down the line. Right. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and I have one other question. Um, sure. when, they, when they sent me this letter uh, saying, you know, asking me to pay on the judgment, um, uh, and I was talking to you guys, John suggested that I um, send them a letter asking them to verify. To validate you know, the debt. Mm-hmm. Validate the debt. Validate right. the debt. Okay. They did. They did send me a copy of the judgment, but they didn't send it for, I don't know, it was two or three weeks. Now, mm-hmm. are they required to send that within five days? No. 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 Okay. No. No, no right. they're, not, they're not required. They can do that uh, with, within, you know, if they did it in three weeks, that's fine. That's not a problem. They did send you a copy of it. If they sent you a copy of that judgment, uh, go back and read it and see what it uh might say on there as far as uh, uh, the interest rate. It, it probably states it on that. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll go back and look at that. Who, um, who mailed uh, it to you? Who mailed it to me? The, you mean the um, the copy of the judgment? Yeah. It was someone within the Midland offices. Um, I, I don't remember. Um, is that important? Well, no, I'm just I'm just trying to think of something. Um, and is there a law firm involved now? No, no, I've never dealt with a law firm. Just the lawyers for Midland. Well, what about when they got the judgment? It was lawyers for Midland. Well, um, I know yeah. I, they did use uh, when they got the judgment. They did use a local attorney. Right, right. They always have to do that. Right. Yeah. Have you sent? Have you sent that attorney a debt validation letter? No, I, I didn't hear anything else from him. Um, I um, I just got a copy of the judgment from the um, courthouse. So, 
No, I never. I mean, did. you got that, that is... in the mail. Yes. Okay. When did the judgment get rendered? Oh, it was two years ago. We, I, April twenty fourth of twenty fourteen. Or no, April twenty eighth. I'd send the lawyer a debt validation letter, anyways, if you can afford the money, um, just to see if they screw up. <laughs> You mean I can send them a debt validation letter uh, from from a judgment from a case from two years ago, even though sure. he's he's sent me no correspondence. I mm-hmm. could send David debt validation letter. Yeah, and well, I could send you one. Speaking speaking off the cuff, I had um, a company threaten me and said they were going to hire a lawyer. And I sent the lawyer a debt validation letter, and they sent me a payoff statement. And I sued them, and three years later, they paid me. Wow. <laughs> do you think? Do you think? Do you think that they're a little wary of me? Maybe. <laughs> Well, you know, if someone said, you know, if if I say I'm, hey, lady, look, you owe me a thousand bucks. I'm going to send Terry over there, and she's going to collect it. Email Terry a debt validation letter. <laughs> that's all there is to it. I mean, that's and Terry backs off. Yeah, because a lot <laughs> of people get a debt validation letter, and they go, "Uh oh, this person's going to sue us." Exactly. So if they don't mail you anything, they're better off. If they mail you something other than the judgment, they've screwed up. <laughs> and and if they screw up, uh, what does that mean for me? You can sue them in federal court. Cha-ching. Oh, okay. I understand. Okay. <laughs> and, All right. um, you know, like Midland... Um, you sent them a debt validation letter and they mailed you a copy of the judgment, right? Yes. Okay. So they're going to – have you looked in your state records to see if they filed it in the UCC um, section at the uh, Secretary of State's office? There's a there's like a lien database or a judgment database, judgment debtor database. No, I, I didn't even know to look at that. I just got a letter from them that said they have filed a lien. They've filed a lien. Well, just go, just go and see, okay? Because that is an act of debt collection. It's an act of debt collection if they filed the UCC. It's an act of debt collection because you know they're they're getting ready to move on you to do garnishment or whatever they're, whatever they're going to do. And um, so if, okay, so just remind me again, they, this, this lawyer got a judgment against you, and then what happened next? Um, a couple of years later, they finally sent me a letter that said, we got this judgment two years ago. We want you to pay on it. And I talked to y'all about it, and um, that's when I found out that I was um, I was underneath the amount where I would be required to pay.
pay the judgment if they um, did a asset evaluation, I, I guess. Right. Um, and um, so when – and I didn't send them a list of my assets like they had requested. I just sent a debt validation letter, and mm-hmm. they sent me a copy of the judgment. And now uh, it's been a couple of months, I guess. I was waiting for them to subpoena me. And then I was going to file the affidavit uh, that I was ineligible to have to pay, but they never did try to subpoena me. I just got a letter that said they have filed a lien against me. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so when they sent you the uh, the discovery, which is basically what it is, was that sent from Midland or was that sent from an attorney? From Midland. Midland where? Um, I think it was here in Houston because it was signed by an attorney that's here in Houston. Well, wait a second. They play games. Now, let's, you know, some of us play nasty. Um, Midland is in California. Okay. They may have an attorney. Some, some, debt buyer firms like that have attorneys that even though they're um, they're either freelance, but then they have some stationery to make it look like they're with Midland, or um, for example, my state Zwicker and Associates does that, and I've found that the attorney is actually like dual practicing, which I don't think is necessarily legal. Um, you know, like they, they've got a, you know, small office where they mail out a bunch of letters from and stuff like their in-house counsel for Zwicker, but they actually work for another law firm too, <laughs> which, <laughs> which the other law firm wouldn't be happy about. Um, and you can look the attorney up on your, you know, if you're in Texas, you can go to the Texas Bar Association's website and there's an attorney search and you can look them up and see who it says they're listed with. Um, now, Texas is a big state. Midland might have an office where they hire and have some attorneys there, but that attorney more than likely if he's not if he's only, if he's a rent attorney because there's one other thing that most people don't realize there are what is called employee leasing firms so it's a firm that has you know 100 attorneys and if you're a corporation and you need to get some specialty work done you can lease that employee so they're working for you under a lease but they really work for this other law firm it's contract work um, so then if you were to assume you get into the split in hairs is who is actually paying his taxes, um, who's, who's providing the benefits program, you know, because remember under Obamacare, you got to give in, you got to provide insurance or they got to be in the state, in the government pool, you know, who sends out their W-2 on their earning or their 1099 on their earning? Is it Midland or is it this employee leasing firm? And if it's the employee leasing firm, then they're not an employee of Midland and they're not an in-house employee and they're definitely a debt collector. And you can sue them. So that attorney that sent you that discovery, you need to send him or her a debt validation letter. 
look them up in the Texas Bar Association website and see who they actually work for. But, I think I have looked them up before, and they work for um, it's it's Encore, the parent company. Yeah. Well, and, so if and that's the case, a, would I still well, send them? I would because well, it comes right down to it. If you sue Midland Encore and and MCM, they're going to turn around and say, "Well, you can't do that. They're separate companies." Yeah, here in so, Texas, John, they they have they have got attorneys now that are operating out of Houston. They're even filing cases up here in in the uh, Dallas area, up in Collin County, where I am, and they are employed by Mid by Encore. Yeah, but Encore's not Midland. Yeah, I know. Remember, uh, it's they are, Midland. but they claim they're not. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. Your point. Listen, Midland Funding is the alleged creditor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And Midland Credit Management is the debt collector they've hired. Encore Capital is just the company that puts together these portfolios and brokers all these deals. This is what they're going to tell you if you just sue them for credit reporting or something like that. So under their theory, which there's plenty of responsive pleadings probably in your federal court about that, under that theory, an employee well, why is an employee of Encore acting as a debt collector when Midland Credit Management is a debt collector assigned to that account? Okay. Um, and and see, and, and if you're pro se and you do this stuff, it's not costing you any time, but it's costing them time to fight it that they could better spend you know, picking low-hanging fruit, which is, you know, people that don't speak English, people that aren't that smart, people, that people that haven't back. figured out that they can sue, people that are gullible, you know, exactly the type of people that the consumer protection laws were designed to protect, except no one's ever told them about it, okay? But once you start beating these people up, they have to decide, you know, and unlike a third-party law firm that goes, oh, great, we've got one of these crazy wacko pro se's. Midland's going to pay us a fortune in attorney's fees to fight them. No, within house, they're going to cut their losses and move on. They're going to put you on the, the list of people they never want to hear from again. Yes, they'll put a mark on your credit report, and yes, they'll put you in the lean database, but they probably aren't going to do anything to you. And if you can, and if you can find that fine line violation that they've done, they're going to pay you money. And yeah. in your settlement, you can get it all wiped away. You want to give them a headache, right? And and it's the split in the hairs. According to them, Encore is a separate company from Midland Credit Management and Midland Funding. Midland Funding is the alleged owner of that judgment. Midland Credit Management is their debt collection arm. Or are they saying that what they've been perpet- what they've been holding in front of courts all over the country when consumers sue them is a fabrication? Have they been fibbing to judges in federal court around the country? Is that what they're saying? Okay, I I think that might be a little bit beyond my intellectual grasp. So how would I educate myself more about um, what you're if telling you're, me? If you're a member of the website and yes. you get in there and study on taking their money, 
the taking their money section of the website uh-huh. teaches all about suing them. And, and 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 on those fine points that you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have three. We have three calls, two calls, three calls a week. So okay. you can't eat the elephant in one bite, and you eat a little bit at a time. But in the meantime, you can send that lawyer a debt validation letter and see what he comes back with. Right. You can give them a headache in the meantime. There, there's no reason you can't give them headaches long before you're ready to sue them. Okay, that would be, I would like that. Um, so I'm going to send a debt validation letter to the person that sent me the first letter I got informing me that they want me to pay the judgment. Well, you yeah, could that send right. it to that person, and you could send one to the person that, um, yeah, because if a person sent you and said they want you to pay, they're a debt collector. Exactly. Okay, now and what about the, the letter I got uh, informing me that there's been a lien? Um if there is, I don't, I'm not sure if someone signed that letter, but if they did, can I send a debt validation letter to them? That's that's uh, no, that that was a response to your debt validation letter. Okay. No, that, that was independent of that, Dave. They just sent a letter saying they filed a lien. That without 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 a demand for without a direct or an indirect communication that's an attempt to collect the debt you're probably not going to get any money out of that one. But yeah. the one that told you they wanted to pay, yes. And when they and when they sent you the discovery asking que- questions about your asset, that is that is an action to collect the debt. That is an action of debt collection. Okay. And I I did send a debt validation letter to them um on that letter they sent me. I don't recall that I uh, addressed it specifically to the lawyer that signed that letter, but the response the I got back was not from that lawyer. It was from somebody in the office I'd never heard of, some send manager or something. Send it specifically to that lawyer because they're the one. Lawyers, the Supreme Court has held, can be debt collectors. And them sending you that information, there that is an act to collect the debt. To, to obtain information about okay, and um, and how long do you wait before you uh, say that they're not responding? Well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they don't have to respond. They don't have to respond, but you know, you can wait a month and and then you know send them a notice of intent to litigate or whatever. And but the fact that you've previously sent them a debt, if you'd sent them a debt validation letter before that, I don't know if you had. Did you send them one before you received the discovery request? No. Okay. Well, then, then send them. But if you if you had sent one before that, and the person sent you discovery without validation, you can just sue them. No, I didn't send... Uh, See, that's uh, the thing with, with letters of, de- of debt validation demand. It's really important that you understand this. They do not have to validate, ever. But what they can't do is if they choose not to validate, they can never again try to collect. Okay, so if I send this letter to the attorney that sent me the discovery, um, they're, 
just waiting on me to take care of my lien. So why would they bother with dealing with me with, through a debt validation? Because they can't make any more actions to collect once you've sent them that letter. Unless without, they validate without, it. Without validating. That lawyer would have to send a copy of the judgment to you, which they're probably not going to do because they don't want to be involved. But anything else they do, you could sue them for. Okay. Would would there be any other action they would do beyond well, um, me, of the lien? Well, yes. What they could turn around and do at that point is sell your, sell the debt, sell the judgment to another debt buyer or to a down-the-line attorney debt collector that you know collects on stale delinquent judgments. And um, you can sue them. So in other words, six months goes by. This is the normal thing. Six months goes by and you think, oh, yeah, I'll never hear from it again. And then you get you know a letter from Dave Borak, attorney, you know, who says, you know, I'm, I'm the new attorney on this case and, you know, this is demand for payment, blah, blah, blah. Well, what you're going to immediately do is send, send them a, a debt, send that new guy a debt validation letter. But the people that sold the debt, <clears throat> it's an additional attempt to collect. Yep. Okay. The, the fact that they sold it forward to someone else is an additional attempt to collect. And and when when they did this lawsuit against you, did you get did they get a default or did you fight them or what happened? Um, no, I fought them a couple of times. Um, so I I got a um, a judgment against me in the first case, and then I appealed it, and that um, lost in the second case. What do you mean the second case? You mean in the appeal? Yes, I'm sorry, in the appeal. They got a judgment against you and you appealed it and they affirmed the judgment. Uh, yeah, we went through another case and yes, it, I was. Um, I still got a judgment against me. Mm-hmm. Well, appeal court isn't another case. It's just it's where they reviewed no, it, the it was the, It was de novo. It was it was a new case um, because the lower case was like a justice of peace. Right. So but it wasn't it's, a no, it's, a, it's a de novo review. Um, well, we 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 did the case all over again, um, like it was like it never been tried before. We. Um, the plaintiff and myself. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, that, that wasn't. That's not a court of record. That justice of the peace, where they sued me. So when I appealed, they 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 let you present the case anew in the. Um, I think it's called a county court at law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing you can do is a motion to vacate, avoid judgment. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. I. I. Um, I will keep that in mind. That the judge was not um, plaintiff friendly. I mean, defendant friendly. Um, he almost tried the case for Midland for them. That uh, that second case, um, you know. <laughs> so that's why I, that's why we keep saying. 
people have to use the federal court and file a federal lawsuit because right. your state courts are friendly to the debt collection industry. That's yeah. not an unusual situation at all. Right. For the yeah. people that are listening, as soon as one of these debt collectors files a lawsuit against you, if you get an enlargement of time of 30 days or so, and in the mean, and the first thing you do is mail off a debt validation letter before you have to answer that um, complaint in state court, you can have a federal lawsuit filed against the company and the lawyers, and um, <laughs> it works. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Okay, thanks. You bet. All right, let's go to Northern Missouri. You have been unmuted. Hey, everybody, double up here. Hey, bud, how you doing? I'm uh, feeling pretty good, I guess. I'm Jeff Hoof, nothing unusual. I got a little bit of a situation I just want to clarify. Uh, I've got one year as of April 1st that I've been in my strategic default. Um, the want to call them banks, DICEC has hired an attorney to collect the rearages. The attorneys uh, are Southlaw here in Kansas City. So they sent a letter stating that they were going to try and collect the rearages on the past due amounts, not a closure. So that was a little bit, I don't know, strange to me. But DICEC then alerted that I will have no more communication from them about the properties that I have been that I retained counsel. Oh, and they've been three three letters sent all information or questions to my attorney. So now South Law sent me this letter, actually sent it to my tenant on the eighteenth, I'm sorry, on the eighth, it arrived at his place. He called me up on the 16th, I picked it up on the 18th. Yeah, and goodness, he didn't open it. I, I, I have alerted them that I am fighting the banks on the debt. Uh, so I'm in the process of getting this QWR together, and basically what I have is I've asked them to validate the debt, and also I've thrown in some rest of stuff that they have to validate. So I guess my question is here, uh, should I go ahead and send this off and then wait for them? They they claim to be retained by the lender. The lender was American told the lender position that it never existed. What the letter probably should have said was that they have been hired by DICEC rather than the lender. So is that first first question, is that uh, misrepresentation, false leading mis- misleading information? They've been hired by the lender. Let me ask you a question: Have mm-hmm. you mailed them debt validation letters yet? This is this is the first debt, debt validation letter. This is the same property that I sued uh, for the, the TCPA last year, and and the settlement prior to taking the settlement, I told them uh, would not take a settlement without them producing the, the notes on the properties, two properties. Right, and I'm what, talking about the law firm. The, you no, said the law firm sent you letters. Have you sent them a debt validation letter yet? It's almost written, but it, it, I want to finalize it after I talk to you guys. Remember, so, it's not too much information. 
Yeah, it's not a QWR. A debt validation letter is not a QWR. Okay. A debt validation letter is very simple, straightforward. Okay. Don't you don't want to mix those up. Okay. And John, you know, Jesse talks about this all the time. You want to explain to double wide the just the the whole parameter that you the only thing you can ask about in the QWR because you can't ask a whole bunch of stuff in a QWR. They don't have right. to answer it. The QWR has to be for some some specific thing that is wrong in your balance, your escrow, your this, your that. It's got to, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, you can ask for the note in the mortgage and they're just going to send you a copy. Sure. But and you can ask for a complete accounting. They're going to send you that accounting computer printout anyways. But if you say, you know, about this this charge on you know December fifth two thousand fourteen you know you know what is it for and all the rest if you find any irregularities if you nail it down to irregularity if it's an escrow balance if it's something like that that you can question that's valid for a QWR but the okay. QWR more you know yes it is a discovery tool for other things but it's it's more likely going to open up where you can sue them for a RESPA violation. So should I take and change the heading from uh, qualified written request to qualified written request and slash that validation letter? Absolutely not. You never mix no. the two together. No. Okay. Here, here's an here's an example of what's been sent to a law firm. Greetings. Thank you for your recent inquiry. And this is having never heard from this firm, only been told by the alleged lender that I was going to hear, hear from them. Um, this is not a refusal to pay, but a notice that your claim is disputed. This is a request for validation made pursuant to the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Please complete, and, and I don't use the form anymore. Please be advised that I am not requesting a verification that you have sure. my mailing address. I am requesting validation. That is competent evidence that I have some contractual obligation to pay you. You should also be aware that sending unsubstantiated demands for payment through the United States mail systems might constitute mail fraud under federal and state law. Your failure to satisfy this request within the requirements of the Fair Debt, Coll Fair Debt Collection Practices Act will be construed as your absolute waiver of any and all claims against me and your tacit agreement to compensate me for costs and attorney's fees sincerely. That's now, what's on the website, yep. Yep, that's what I sent in 2013, and you know, three years later they paid me. Um, and that I, when they sent me stuff back, my second letter went out, which is greetings. I am in receipt of your communication attempting to collect the debt and have found it to be incomplete and inconclusive. I dispute the alleged debt in its entirety. I demand you provide me with the name, address of the original creditor, the name and address of the current creditor, and a complete validation of the amounts of the alleged debt. Per your communication received blank, I have a, the date. I have attached an additional copy of this um, uh, and I don't use that disclosure form anymore. But anyways, so you know, I sent them a copy of the letter so they could see from what they sent me. But it's just challenging them again. It was in, found to be incomplete and inconclusive. And then you know, see if they write to you again because so, you put so them on the, the spot. 
Huh? So just set the bait. It's not the bait. This is what the law says you're supposed to do. You send them a debt validation letter. If 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 a bank tells you they've hired counsel, send them the damn letter before you even hear from the law firm. It'll it'll stumble them. And if the law firm sends you something, send them that immediately. And when they give you an answer back, send them the second one that's incomplete and inconclusive, you know, and just let them know that you're going to be giving them a hard time. And shortly thereafter, you can sue them based on what they mailed you. Once you get them in federal court, then you can then you're suing them, and they aren't going to file a state action against you if you if you ask what state are you in? I forget. Missouri. Does Missouri have a, a Missouri version of the FDCPA? Uh, it actually, it actually uh, does not. It, it, basically, what it says is that they accept the uh, the Fair Collection Practices Act as written. So, and, and that's the short version of what it says. And um, do you have a you know um, UDAP, a state UDAP law, unfair and deceptive trade practices? Uh, I believe there's uh, Missouri Consumer Protections Act is what it's called. Okay, you need to look at that and see if it has a private right of action and see if it allows for injunctive relief. Okay. Okay. Because because if it allows for injunctive relief and you put a and you if you request injunctive relief under the FDCPA, you're not going to get it. Um, because it does, it's you know there's litigation out there that shows you don't get it, but a lot of the state statutes you can get injunctive relief, and if and if that's in your complaint, there's absolutely no way they're going to sue you in state court while the federal lawsuit's ongoing. Okay, so I should file in both. No. Federal and state. No. You what you do is you file a federal lawsuit with the federal count in there. And then you can put an additional count for the violation of the state law, but you do okay. it all in federal court. Okay. But you need to make sure there's a private right of action and um, make sure that don't ask for injunctive relief unless you can find a statute that's going to give it to you. Okay. All right. Fantastic. And then under FDCPA, you can ask for dec- declaratory relief. Which is a de- basically nothing more than a declaration, declaration they violated the law. Okay. Awesome. All right, guys, I'll jump off and let the next uh, poor soul have, have their story out there. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, be safe out in the road there, buddy. All right, guys. Thank you. See you. You bet. Take care. Bye. All right, and I'm going to once again ask if there's anybody that has a question for us. If you do, star eight. That's how you put your hand up so that uh, we can answer your questions for you. And don't wait till the last second when I say we're going to wrap up the call. That's not the time to stick your hand up. So if you've got questions, you've got to get in there and ask them away. And we're going to go to Central Florida. You've been unmuted. Go ahead. Hi, this is Velva in uh, Central Florida. Hi, Velva. Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm hanging in there, Dave. Good Go to ahead. hear you. Um, I just got on the call a little while ago um, and listened to the last two interesting calls. 
and uh, John's input, very, very um, detailed. Um, I'm not sure what I want to ask you first, so I'm just going to kind of blurt it all out. I um, One at a time, dear, one at a time now. I guess I should have, I don't know if I could have, sent the debt validation letter some time ago to the attorneys for the uh, current foreclosure suit. Um, I don't know where to start with that. Um, this uh, how well, Did you send one? I don't remember sending one. I can't find proof that I did. Well, then send them another one. Um, it's been over a year, and so let's just okay. This is the Bank of America, and this uh, is was a rental house that I have now moved in since I did a short sale on my own home, and I only just moved into very recently, and I was notified by my attorney that they've already set a trial date. Um, there's really been hardly any discovery whatsoever. And that's and I'm floored that they actually went ahead and uh, were able to get a a date for a 10 minute trial is what they requested. And now that I of course I'm represented, I don't know how to exactly to do a, a QWR or debt val the debt validation letter. Um, it they filed refiled this case in December of 2015. In early 2016, I filed a, a 13, Chapter 13, um, and had it dismissed later, months later. Um, I did not hire counsel until March of 2016. Now, the letter I received originally from the attorney who says they represent the lender doesn't say a whole lot. It doesn't say they're a debt collector or anything at the bottom or anything like that. But it don't doesn't. yeah, I I'm represented. Don't I still have to go through the attorney to do this letter? Yeah. And that's a hard part. <laughs> Why is that? Well, they don't get it. They just don't get it. Who who are you dealing with on the attorney? Tanner Andrews. Oh, Tanner knows all about this stuff. What do you mean he doesn't get it? He he does, but we so what we've what what we've done right now, and I know our time is short, what we've done, um he um because the the B case that I had done uh kind of used up all of twenty sixteen basically. However, there were huge gaps in between time where they could have um Tanner had sent in uh, July last year. He sent them his questionnaire. Uh, was it discovery? Something, something like that. A well, I mean, either it was discovery yeah. or it wasn't. You say they it, sent it the questionnaire. It, that's what it looked like. It looked like a questionnaire. I only saw it in blank form. I didn't see the actual responses or lack of responses. He sent them. Um, he he wanted them to bring the original note to his office so that he could see it. And they did not do that. He also okay. sent them this questionnaire of many, many, uh, you know, basically trying to get the discovery. Um, that was in July. So a little bit later than that, I had refiled the BK-13. 
And so that went on for three to mm, not quite four months, and it was dismissed. The bank, bank heard of it right away. But in November of last year, they requested more time to respond to his request, pointing the finger at me because of I did the 13th and that they couldn't do anything because of that. Well, they did have plenty of time in between, and they had time after. Um, I, it was dismissed in early October, and then they're requesting in, in mid to late November. However, they sent basically to him, all that I can find out is they sent um, a motion to, uh, well, a request to the court uh, saying that they needed more time and that um, because of my filings that they couldn't do anything. However, whatever they sent to Tanner, they've objected. They sent objections to him. Okay. They and, needed more time they, to object. They sent objections. They and, and I don't know exactly what it was for except for the part of him saying he wanted to see the original note in his office. Yeah. Um, whatever questions they may have answered, I was not given a copy of that or sent that in, and it's not on public record. On, on no, that's not going to be in public record. <laughs> You've got to get that from Tanner. Tell him you want a copy of it. Okay. So that was um, like the very, very end of last year. And by February, they requested to the court for a trial date. They'd have to move. And that was granted a trial date. That it was granted to them. Okay. It was was granted. So that's when Tanner contacted me that they had done that. And that's, I mean, I had just moved into this house. I mean, not even a day and a half. Mm-hmm. And he contacted me by email that they had set this, and I thought it, I thought it was a joke. Oh, Scott, I thought it was a joke. And, <laughs> you know, that we needed to do something, not that it had been done. And I'm thinking, well, we, we, we're not anywhere near that yet. We have more discovery. There's no summary judgment. There's no... Has he <laughs> propounded more discovery on them? It doesn't appear that way. Well, so, then what's he doing, sitting on his hands? It kind of feels that way. However, I met with him, and um, um, they had offered, he was talking, we're dealing with someone, some woman. Uh, they wanted to get me out of the house, and they wanted to um, pay me uh, $7,500 and give me 60 days to get out. Cash for keys. Mm, something like that. That's exactly so, what it is. But, you know, they can say whatever, but there's no guarantee you'll ever get anything. However, I said to Tanner, I said, my God, I just got in here. I haven't, um, I, I said, I can't even imagine two months getting out of here. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, you got to think about the legal part of it, not, you know, your personal right. situation. Well, I, I understand that. Um, so he said, well, you know, we 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 might be able to, prolong this we might not and um i kind of felt like he was just ready to let it go i mean i i felt that i mean i'm not saying that's what happened i'm just saying that's what i felt so um, so did he tell you what he precisely what he was going to do he said well well he says i thought you would were ready to um let go of the property after 
a year or so, and um, so we'll have to uh, change plans. And I said, yeah, I've moved into the house now. And I, I let you know that all along as this was proceeding, I let you know what I was doing. So um, he said, we need to depose a, uh, a witness. And I, I, you know, I gave him money for that. And um, and so um, he says he would request a two-hour trial. And, and most likely the court would uh, change the date um, yeah, a 10-minute trial, that's nonsense. I know. So that's kind of where it is. and um, well, You just need to have better communication with Tanner and tell him you want to yeah. know precisely what he's doing. Right. We, you know, also, we always say that when it comes to attorneys, and I don't care who the attorney you. is. It, it doesn't matter. You want to know exactly what the attorney is doing, and you want copies of what going on if you, you know you're, pay, you're paying the bill yeah you're entitled to that and you know if, if the if, if, because there's too many times that attorneys have just let things slide you know they get busy with other cases this it doesn't yeah. matter you know yeah. uh you know it doesn't matter if they're busy with somebody else's case what matters to you is your case obviously so it's your yeah. responsibility to stay on top of it and ride herd on them i don't care who they are i'm just curious who is the alleged original lender Originally, it was country, countrywide, and now Bank of America in all their many different names. Um, you know, it, right now it's B, uh, Bank of America NA. I think the not first a, not thing, a trust, not a trust or anything like that. No, no. And originally, uh, the first case that got dismissed, it was I think, gosh, um, they I think they called it something slightly different. It was a servicer, you know. And that was dismissed. So and then, um, they uh, did the, that was in twenty. That was a twenty ten case, and now this um, just before they filed again, they sent me a ten ninety nine and were forgiving a portion of the monies, and I thought, why would they do this? And you know, I've mentioned it to um, the attorney, and I mentioned it on one of the calls. And and they the they said well that happens I said in my mind it means they're starting another case in 2011 and they are there there will never be the statute of limitations will not come up not that it matters anymore but that won't come up right because they filed in time and they're not saying I I was in default in 2010 they're saying I was in default in 2011. So, it doesn't matter now with the, the, the case that passed through the Florida Supreme Court. They can just pick a new payment that you missed and, and sue right. like that. Something well, what within done, the statute of limitation. Right. Now, originally, this was you know a David Stern thing. It was a MERS thing. Um, it's a Freddie Mac. Well, that's, um, that's why I was yeah. asking that question yeah. because yeah. Um, when it comes right down to it, that's why he said he needs to depose someone because – you know, if if you go to trial and they produce the because they never produced the note in discovery, right? The note in the mortgage. Um, that's my understanding. What's on court record is that they had. Um, it's now the clerk had produced it. I think it's sitting in the court file, or it might be with the attorney now. I don't. I'll have to look again. But originally, the clerk produced it. 
<laughs> I had I had asked Tanner about that. I said, Tanner, if said if you'll you'll notice the uh, activity from the time the first case was dismissed as activity of attorneys trying to get the note, and this attorney firm actually went to a county that had nothing to do with the whole case to try to get the note. So I don't know what they were doing. And now there's a different well, attorney. See, notes, notes aren't filed into the public record. Only the mortgages are. And um, if they didn't produce it during discovery and they just you know show up with a document in court, you can deny the document. And then they have to produce a witness to, to rebut you but in order to produce a witness, you have to have the ability to depose that person before the trial. And so that's why Tanner wants to depose someone. Okay. That's, and if that's... you remember back to Jesse's deal that we went over, that's the thing. They didn't, they didn't produce the documents. They gave a list of witnesses. They tried to depose all the witnesses. They couldn't get any of those people. So then on the list it said, and corporate representative. And so that's an ambiguity. And when they showed up with some person that wasn't listed on the witness list at the trial, Tanner was able to block them from being able to speak because they weren't on there. Yeah, the, the list has a lot of a lot of not not specific people listed. They have yeah, they, they put a, they've done a witness list, a recent witness list. I they I'm on there, and then they've they've mentioned a bunch of people with no name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you're talking? <laughs> yeah. They mentioned a title, something like that. Yeah, it's kind of tricky how they've done it. it it's, you know, but yeah, that's the standard thing. But you need to talk to Tanner about that because he needs to depose the people that, that have real names. And then the other ones, you know, he can send some type of notice, but you can't, you know, you can't depose a title. They have to produce a person and they can't just have some unnamed person show up at trial. Right. They'll try, but. You know, if you get a sharp attorney, he'll blow him out of the water. And that—that's what I'm hoping for. And yes, I will communicate that back. Um, is there—is there still a place for me to do a debt validation letter? Is it too late? It's never too late, but you—you have counsel, so you—you mm-hmm. you need to type it up. Um, I think that's what Jesse was saying. You need to type it up with Tanner's name and address with him sending it for you. So yeah, you can do all the work and then just send it to him and yeah. say, "Here, sign this," and you know, yeah, here's yeah. the envelope with the postage and everything on it. Right. I um again, and I will do this. But the last time we met up, I had we had um, planned to do. Uh, to sue for going around counsel, and I produced to him all the different statements that I had received, and I was trying to explain to him that I wanted to do this, the debt validation letter. You know, we wanted to sue the attorney firm, and he said, well, we're doing, we're doing the going around counsel. You know, it wasn't registering what I was getting at, so I think I need to go ahead and type it up, and then go see him again, and show him it is hey, very what we're doing. Yeah, it's different than what we're. It's different than the going around counsel suit. 
Well, yeah, different. yeah. And the fact that he doesn't do federal, he doesn't do federal cases, can be a problem. Well, I was going to say, that's a problem in itself. I know. So, but the, um, the thing is, to do it, the, I, I think what Jesse was getting at is to do it properly, your attorney has to send the letter because yes. it is in relation to the suit against you. Okay, yes. and you have counsel. But as far as filing the lawsuit for, for, for um, FDCPA, FDCPA, you can do, you can do that yourself as a pro se because the two things, they're completely separate. Okay, so. Okay, so I, I understand what you mean about doing the debt validation letter through him. Mm-hmm. And we are, with him, going to sue for going around counsel. Right. And then there's another FDCPA that it has not expired if I do the debt validation. Well, we don't know the, yeah. the, the facts on that. The violation has to have occurred within the last 12 months of the date of filing, the previous right. 12 months. But that, what John's of, saying is you can do that. So just Tanner's not even involved in the federal suit for FDCPA. All right. So, so remember, remember, look at it this way: if where you are right now, if they've uh-huh. done anything towards collection in the last twelve months, which they have by sending a witness list, setting it for trial, all this other stuff. Then you can mail him. You can mail get Tanner to mail him that validation letter, and anything. Once you've mailed that, anything else they do, like arguing against, you know, uh, letting you depose someone or anything, you can sue them. Okay. Anything okay. related to debt collection, if they do okay. anything, you know, if 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 they do anything. Okay. They walk into so, a courtroom and say, we're okay. here on behalf of such and such. They violated okay, the law. So the clock, the clock starts again. The clock starts again. Yeah. I don't have to be concerned about the, the letter that I received from them, which was like December 2015, and I had no counsel for three months because everything stopped because of the bankruptcy court. You know? Um, so that that's right. what threw me. That, that, that's no, what threw me. I didn't... If, if they've out, done you, know. you know, there's things that you can sue on that... Um, you don't have to send a debt validation letter for. Like, they send you a demand for payment and it doesn't include the mini Miranda. Right. Or, you rec- or, or you know, that's that's a classic one. Or phone calls. Or, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of things that they can do that you can sue them on that if they use false information in credit reporting, um, that's an act of debt collection too. And you don't have to send a debt validation letter. You can just go ahead and sue them. But what you want to set them for now is this is just ongoing. And the next time they do anything, you you can just sue them in federal court. Okay. Instead of trying to figure out, you know, something they've done recently that you can sue them without sending a debt validation letter. Okay. But but to begin with, I still need to send one. Yes. I can. And I um and then we'll, I can do a separate one on my own through federal. Separate you lawsuit, yes. Separate yes. lawsuit. Okay. Yes. I was and, being in Florida, my first thought. The debt validation. Thought, yeah. Listen, the debt validation letters go to the name of the firm that is handling the case for the 
supposed creditor, and any individual attorneys that have signed any pleadings related to debt collection, any court filings related to debt collection. Okay. Other, other than the complaint. So if they've sent discovery, if they sent interrogatories, if they've set the thing for trial, anything that's moving that ball forward is an act of debt collection. Send them, send them a debt validation letter, and whoever the alleged creditor is that is suing you, send them a debt validation letter. So that's, that's two different letters, correct? The no, uh, no it, it depends on how many people are involved. You sue the company, the name of the company, and Joe Smith, whoever, you know, Joe Smith, Tom, Dick, or Harry, if their name's on a, on one of the uh, documents that they send you, that's all. So what I'm saying is that would be one whole case, not separate case. You can do it separate, but it's cheaper to do it as one case, one yeah. filing okay. fee. Okay. Yeah, you'd, you'd file with multiple defendants. Okay. As Larry says, zoom all and let the judge yeah, do, Larry, do a Larry on it is what you're saying. Yep, yep. do a Larry. <laughs> Unfortunately, that I understand that. <laughs> yep. and my first thought was that we had FCCPA if the FDCPA had expired on the first letter. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah, FCCPA so. is two-year statute. Yeah. Okay, well, I've got a lot of work to do. Okay, go get them. I need, and I and I really appreciate it. And I'm going to re-listen to the call and get it all down so I don't, so I can follow through quickly. Okay. Right Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Bye bye. All right, we have Southeast Pennsylvania, and I'm going to mute and unmute you. So, well, at least I tried to do that, trying to get you to. Drop out of the queue, and I'm going to unmute you there. Now you're out of the queue. Go ahead, Pennsylvania. Hello? Yes. Um, based upon the debt validation um, letter, um, what are you supposed to expect um, uh, when you send a request, like for a credit card or, you know, something like that? Well, anytime you make a demand for validation, you – boy, what was that? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm on the highway. I'm listening here. Yeah. Okay, um, when you send a demand for validation, you, you may not get anything back. If they, send, if they don't send anything back, then they have to stop collection or they're violating the law, okay? They have, if they respond, they have to respond properly. And they can't just send you, you know, one statement that says, you owe $6,128, you know, that's not the way it works. They have to show you, uh, they have to provide complete information as to how the alleged debt that they're trying to collect was figured, how they came to the uh, dollar and cents figure that they're saying you owe. That is correct validation of a debt. Okay, so they will practically send you a statement for the whole year or something like that. Well, they have to send you. They have to send you documentation uh, from day one. You know, I mean, if you've got a credit card, chances are there was a whole bunch of different transactions, right? Yes. All right. Okay. All right. Well, they have to show. They have to show you evidence of every single one. You know, there might have been three hundred transactions to to get uh, up to let's say six thousand dollars. Well, they can't just send you one statement and show we're 
you ate dinner uh, at Joe's Bar and Grill, and and you got gas at Shell, and say, okay, you owe six thousand dollars. It doesn't work that way. How to, you know, you you didn't spend six thousand dollars on gasoline and lunch. Okay. Okay. Um, because I have two companies that send me um, uh, demands for payments, and uh, I send a debt validation letter, you know, in in regards to their accounting. And uh, they were collecting on behalf of an ex debt collector, and I haven't heard from them, from the person who sent it, but I heard from, I guess I don't know, even know the Sherman Group of Group of Company. I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They're so they're as bad as Midland. Okay. They're debt buyers. Okay. They're, they're junk debt have, buyers. Yeah, but they said they they um reviewing my request, but I haven't heard anything from them. It's more than 30 days. So I don't know if they, if they, if they don't respond properly, then they have to stop collecting. If they stop collecting, that's all they have to do. Okay. So time will tell, right? Yeah, I guess. All right. Thanks a lot. All righty. You're very welcome. Okay, everybody, it's that time. It is the top of the hour, and it's time to say goodnight. Uh, thanks to everybody that joined us tonight. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, John. Appreciate you guys' uh, input and participation, as always. And uh, I hope uh, that we've benefited some people tonight. I'm sure we have. We've had a lot of good discussion on things. And uh, that's we, that's why we're here every week. Now, tomorrow night, I believe we have the bye week on the calls uh, on Tuesday night. So there'll be a Tuesday night call next week, not tomorrow night. And uh, then, of course, Terry's call is Wednesday night, as usual. And if for some odd reason you're not on Terry's email list to get the call reminders <coughs> and the other information she sends out, Send an email right now to queensongbird at gmail.com and simply say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. But don't wait until Wednesday afternoon to do it because you won't get the reminder. She sends those out tomorrow. So get that done right now. That way you get the information and you're all set. Her call starts at 8 o'clock Eastern. That's one hour earlier than uh, Dallas debt discussion on Monday night. So uh, do that. And we'll be set. And then, of course, next Monday we'll be back here as always. And then uh, Tuesday of next week there will be a Tuesday night call on Blog Talk Radio. So I hope everybody has a great week. Uh, If you tune in to Terry's call on Wednesday night, chances are you might hear my voice there. Otherwise, uh, we will talk to you again soon. Have a great evening, everybody. Take care. Good night. Good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.